Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Today, we have a very special edition of the 10 Questions Podcast with one of our own here at PFF. He is a research and development intern, part of Michigan Football Analytics Society, which as a, you know, outspoken Buckeye, I'm not a huge fan of. But you know what? When you're right, you're right. He does a great job. Matthew Stafford, defender himself, <laughs> Tage Seth at T-E-J-F-B Analytics on Twitter. I'm sure you've all seen his great research, great memes, all the above. Tage, thanks for the time, my friend. How's it going? Yeah, thank you for having me on. I've literally only worked on one stats homework assignment this whole week so this is a nice break to come on and talk about football with you today <laughs> dude i remember uh yeah Tage, current uh you know actually a current student at michigan so you know someone that was just loving my uh buckeyes getting stomped there not that <laughs> long ago but it's funny you bring up that stats class man like i remember uh you know that was in college around your age was when i first started writing and doing my own football research obviously like you're a little bit ahead of where i was at that point but i remember uh complaining to my stats teacher trying to get my grade bump one of those bullshit things man were like if they would just literally round up like i had the grade i wanted so i wasn't trying to be a huge dick about it but the one thing i was trying to like get him on my side i was like bro i'm using everything i learned here in my football articles like you should be thankful i'm doing this not so much that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes tage enough about that what we want to talk about today is first go through some of your you know background being a long-suffering lions fan talk a little bit matthew stafford super bowl preview and then i want to touch on an article that you wrote actually this past summer about nfl running back regression the theme we've been trying to have on this podcast over the last few weeks looking ahead to dynasty trying to project what players are going to do in the upcoming years not just falling back on what we saw in 2021 so first off man mentioned it long long-suffering Lions fan. I apologize for everything you have had to go through. But with that said, there's still been some good times along the way. Give me your Mount Rushmore of Lions moments, games, whatever, that you've had, that you've had the pleasure of experiencing so far. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, if we, were to, if we were to do a Mount Rushmore of, like, of like moments or, or players or something like that, I think, like, my we'll, – um, we'll talk about Stafford in a little bit, but I think, like, my favorite non-quarterback player was Golden Tate. Nice. Um, you know, like correct, Stafford, correct answer. Yeah, you, you answered the question well. <laughs> yeah, that you know, like yeah, like he was, and you you've tweeted about this before. Like he was the best yards after the catch receiver, like I've ever seen. Um, you know, every time he caught the ball, the play wasn't over and stuff like that. And then like so many memorable celebrations, flipping into the end zone to win oh the game in God. Minnesota, um, doing the the people's elbow like that wrestling <laughs> celebration against New Orleans and and stuff like that. So like I I almost wonder like what he could have been like if he was used in like a Debo Samuel role, considering like how good he was with the ball. Would have been great just to even, you know, we see it nowadays at Ohio State against uh, Utah. They had Jackson Smith and Jigba just running routes from the backfield. I saw the Panthers do it, DJ Moore a little bit, Cowboys, C.D. Lamb. Like, you can put the guy back there, and it was funny, Tate. I got completely eviscerated by football Twitter, like, last offseason. And it was one of those things where I tweeted it late at night, probably had had a few drinks, and then looked back (laughs) at the mentions in the morning, and uh, big football Twitter wasn't happy. So I brought up the idea that a running back, when you leave him in the pass, protect – Best case scenario is he does his job. He accounts for the blitzer, the rusher, whatever, and you have the sound protection. My thought was, what if you just always release him on a route? Now, always 
not actually always, but I'm the one that said always. Mm -hmm. So, because my point was, if you take him out on a route, he's still accounting for a player if they cover him. But if they don't cover him, now you have a huge game uh, game mm -hmm. with him right there. Now, you know, modern quarterbacks' ability to process all five of their reads with a you know zero blitz coming. I I get it. There's some you know big assumptions I took there, but man, using these wide receivers in the backfield, like if you're looking for something to keep on studying in this offseason, I would love to see just how you know much the mismatches you can create by having that receiver as a running back because there's you know defenses have to flip like their entire responsibility scheme to try to handle that yeah no no that's definitely a great point and you know like if you look at like the rams 49ers game uh this past week like i felt like jalen ramsey's impact isn't as much when he's guarding Debo samuel as like a true like typical wide receiver one because like if Debo lines up in the backfield then ramsey's on the wide receiver two who's like not as good anyways right or like Something like that. So like that's like a good way to like get rid of like a like a star shutdown corner by putting a wide receiver in the backfield. The credit to uh, Brand Staley last year really being the first guy to be like, hey Jalen, you know it's fun watching you shut down the opposing number one all game, but we kind of like you to have a true impact around the line of scrimmage mm -hmm. every single play. It is legal to move your best players around on defense. <laughs> Tage, you know, Matthew Stafford, let's not bury the lead here. You have been his biggest supporter that I've seen here on Twitter in recent memory, and you've had a lot to cheer about. Objectively speaking, though, where would you rank him among every quarterback this season, including the playoffs, most important football? I hate when people, you know, exclude the playoffs to mm -hmm. hide their own damn agendas. But <laughs> objectively speaking, where would you rank Matthew Stafford in the year 2021-2022? Yeah, um, I don't want I don't want uh, any bias to bleed into analysis here, so I'll, I'll try to keep it objective, like you said. Um, you know, just overall body of work this season, I think he's like shown he's like solid a solid tier two quarterback. Um, you know, like ranking around like like eighth best, seventh best, maybe around there. Um, he's not he's not top five because he makes too many mistakes. Like when he throws his interceptions, sometimes they're like with a clean pocket and like just being super aggressive and like. You don't have to do that, right? Yeah. But um, and then he has he has some stretches of like areas of the the season where he'll become like really inaccurate for a little bit, and then like he'll get it back eventually. But like everything that he does good, I feel like makes up for that, and that's why like he's like been a really good quarterback this season. Uh, you know, he's opened up the whole field for the Rams. He's you know gotten the like explosive play rate back into the McVay offense. And like, you know, ranking, ranking first in EPA per play over the regular season and the postseason, even some, even if some of it is scheme and like throwing the Cooper cup and stuff like that is still like really, really impressive and like shouldn't be understated. I think uh, it's important what you said there where like he, he has these great highs and yeah, there's some lows as well, mm -hmm. but like we just, we've seen him do it the whole playoffs. Like Stafford at his best is capable of being the best quarterback in the NFL. We're not saying he is, but he can go through it for stretches. So when I see, uh, you know, the big viral tweet going around was like the Rams have the advantage everywhere. What do the Bengals have? And you know, the swagger looking picture of Burrow uh, getting yeah. off the bus and I get it. I, I would personally take Burrow over Stafford in the game. But, man, it's, it is not that cut and dry. I think we could have a conversation about which one is better. And at a minimum, man, if Stafford shows up to play, he could absolutely outperform Joe Burrow for 60 mm -hmm. minutes. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, like, Burrow had a wonderful regular season, probably better than Stafford's regular season. But Stafford's been a lot better in the playoffs so far. Like, Stafford's basically, other than the kind of, like, the red zone interception, which was, like, probably his fault, but, you know, just, like, a tip ball in the 49ers game. And then he got really lucky with the dropped interception um, later in that game. But like, other than that, he's been basically flawless. 
in the playoffs so far, especially since his team has, has kind of tried to do everything they could to lose some of these games yeah. for him. Like the Bucks game, like four fumbles by his teammates and like he's still able to leave the game-winning drive. And then the 49ers game with, uh, you know, not being able to run the ball whatsoever. And like him being like the only like, you know, way to the passing game being the only way to generate offense and stuff. All right. You mentioned Stafford, great postseason run. Obviously, if Stafford's going to have a great run, that means his guy Cooper Cup is as well. Kicking off the playoffs, he caught five of seven targets, 61 yards and a touchdown, nine catches, 183 yards and a score against the Bucs, and then 11 catches, 142 yards and two scores against the 49ers. Cage, I've always, and I think everyone else is pretty consensus, like we all gave Larry Fitzgerald the best postseason run ever by a wide receiver. Honorable mention for me, Hakeem Nix. He had an awesome four-game stretch in that second Giants Super Bowl before he fell off pretty hard. But we give Larry Fitz number one spot. Would you give Cooper Cup that nod if he goes ahead and puts up another 100-plus yards and scores once or twice here next Sunday? Yeah, it would be it'd be really close. Like, I was I was young when Fitzgerald had that, like, great postseason run. I think I think he had, like, it was, like, 550 yards and, and seven touchdowns. Total. Yeah, I'm pulling it up right now, but I, 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 that sounds right. Yeah, but like that's like really impressive back then because the NFL wasn't as big of a passing league as it is now. And like everything wasn't catered towards like the quarterback receiver connections. So for for Larry Fitzgerald to do that, like I feel like even if even if Cup goes off in the in the Super Bowl, like you know, it'll 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 be close, but like Fitzgerald should probably keep that that number one spot for now. But like not to take away from Cup, like he's been insanely impressive this postseason and and throughout the whole season, like they don't, they don't beat the bucks without him, um, you know, having the 75 yard touchdown third and 20, and then two very clutch catches on the final drive to set up the game winning field goal. Like that's like that, that'll be remembered by like Rams fans and like the rest of the NFL forever. Fitz got seven touchdowns cups at four. So yeah, I think what I brought up, that's not enough hundred yards and touchdown. That's not doing it. And when you look at Fitz, he did go over a hundred and scored every game cup in the Cardinals game, only 61 yards, like boohoo uh, with what we're going on there. But yeah, let, maybe if cups yards total starts with a two and has a couple extra numbers alongside yeah. it. And then we get a two, three touchdown game, you know, Cooper, just a, just a casual 200 yards and a couple of touchdowns <laughs> the Super Bowl. That probably is how he would get to that conversation great stuff tage now i want to pick your brain here again on this excellent article you wrote on nfl running back uh regression i actually just had an article go up today on pff.com basically talking about how like the myth of 400 touch running backs like all of a sudden just falling off a cliff and after i wrote that um i was, was starting to prep for this podcast today and i found your article on this and i was like my god i hope that i didn't just come to a completely different decision uh or conclusion <laughs> than tage did luckily uh, we seem to be on the same page page so i want to go again through some of the facts and fictions that you brought up here again people can find this article on pff.com but tage starting things off one of your facts was that running backs do in fact have a drop off after their rookie contracts include mm -hmm. yeah this is this has been something that's been been talked about a lot especially by like the running backs don't matter community um but basically you know using the the rushing yards over expected uh metric which is basically creating expected rushing yards for a running back based on the game situation, like the down distance and yard line. And then also using like the offensive linemen and tight, you know, whoever else was blocking on that play, though their grades on that play to determine like how many running back or how many yards an average running back will get on that play. And then the amount of yards that the running back ends up getting is like their, their rushing yards over expected on that play. So if, if yeah, if we look at like 
you know, how, what the average like rushing yards over expected per year is um, it, the amount of time they spent in the NFL. The first four years for running back is all positive. And then when they hit their fifth year, they start to see negative, And then that basically continues for the rest of their NFL career. And it should be mentioned that like, even these are like the, the running backs that are making it to their fifth year are the good running backs that have like performed well. Right. So if they're falling off in their, in their fifth year and they're having negative um, rushing yards over expected, like that should show like they, they usually don't do well after their rookie contracts and stuff. You would think the bad running backs have already been weeded out by the time mm-hmm. that we're getting to this. So no, that's a that's a great point. And you know, before we got on this podcast, I was uh, looking at just in fantasy, we go top twelve. That's your RB one usual twelve team leagues and all that. So I looked at years of experience over the past ten years. What percentage of each position you know is racking up these top twelve finishes? And for running back, man, for you know thirteen to eighteen percent of the top performers are in years one through five. You know, one through four, especially after that, though, just starts to drop off harder than any other position and i think particularly man like once you see that team change because we got free agency coming maybe like the derrick henry's aaron joneses of the world maybe i can buy into the first couple years of a second contract if they're still with that team once we start changing the environment though things can get ugly in a hurry Mm -hmm. now you do have a fiction and this is what you know i was introing with and i'm happy we came to the same conclusion because fiction running backs burn out after receiving a heavy workload the year before it just doesn't add up tage you know people might want to go out and say oh look at derrick henry what about derrick henry what year are we going to use the 2020 where absolutely nothing happened after 400 yeah. touch workload or 2021 when they only played eight games uh, after it so tell me your findings here and kind of the myths surrounding running backs burning out after just one year of a heavy workload mm-hmm yeah, no, this was this was something I've heard a lot, um, you know, about either either whether in the fantasy realm or just like football in general is that like, oh, for running back, like hit like uh, 300 carries in this season, like the next season, they they usually don't do well. Dude, people try to say like 370 yeah. specifically, like what are we doing here? <laughs> I know all numbers are a little bit arbitrary, but like, come on. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know that that is pretty arbitrary. Um, but yeah, so then so then I took a look. I was like, OK, so if they have you know, like, 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 let's see what the correlation is between uh, rushes in year N and like N could be N is like the current year. And then like, let's see what their average rushing yards over expected was in year N plus one, which would be the next year after that. And so what I actually found was there was like a very slight positive correlation between the two, which like, again, makes sense because the running backs getting a lot of carries the previous year are probably a little bit better. So they're probably going to do, you know, pretty well, pretty well the next year but it was good to find that they didn't like have like a burnout or they weren't able to perform well after like receiving a heavy workload now tage the next two i think kind of go together because yes single season stuff i we're 100 same page you shouldn't be using that for next time but i do think it makes sense we've talked about how running backs drop off after their rookie contracts mm-hmm. why they're dropping off why not beforehand because you got a lot of miles on those wheels uh by some point in time so one of your facts is that for all types of rbs there is a carry limit where we can predict a negative you know rush yards over expected or as you indicate and that the fiction a part of this is that a heavy college workload uh doesn't it doesn't exactly mean that the running back won't do as well in the nfl so explain this one to 
me because again, this is one of those things where like going into last year, the big issue was Derrick Henry and all the workload he had. One of the things mm-hmm. I checked was including the college carries and touches like Ezekiel Elliott had like a full extra season on even what Derrick Henry had gone through at that point. But it does make sense that, you know, we got to draw the cutoff somewhere. I'm sure everyone out there has seen Derrick Henry's high school game log that goes viral every <laughs> couple months. Like we do need to draw the line at some point. So tell me why that. Yes, we do need to kind of be keeping track of these guys overall speedometer while at the same time, you know, extra college usage might not matter as much as people like me think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, to start, to start with like, you know, when, what the carry limit is uh, when they decline. So in the PFF era, which is like 2006 onward, um, there have been 27 running backs where there are 27 seasons where a running back headed into that, that season with 1500 carries. And only seven of those resulted in positive rushing yards over expected. So like 20 of them were, were underperforming, which was like pretty significant chunk. And like the trend line was pretty clear when it was like graphed out and everything. Like once a running back hits that like 1500 carry limit, if they're headed into the next season, they're usually going to um, kind of decline. And like, that is like something like you mentioned, like that's pretty specific to just running backs. Like, it doesn't really appear for other positions. Like we've seen Aaron Rodgers win back-to-back MVPs now at ages 36, 37. We've seen Tom Brady play at a high level into his forties. Um, and then, you know, Cole, like Cole Beasley was, was 32 and, and Mano Sanders is still done. Yeah. Mano like... Sanders. Yeah, exactly. So like receivers, quarterbacks, like we can see this in other positions, running backs, once they, once they hit like that 27 uh, age mark and like the 1500 carries comes in and stuff like that's usually when we're going to see some decline in them. Did you find any sort of difference in carries versus touches? It, it would make sense to me if carries like were just kind of, cause you said like it doesn't um, impact the other positions, mm-hmm. you know, these wide receivers, they're getting tackled by 200, 215 pound cornerbacks and safeties running backs are the ones that are really, you know, running up against the 300 plus pound behemoths uh, all the time. Have you done the extra research and kind of difference with the carries versus like the receptions? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great follow-up. And I did look at that after I wrote this article and like the touches aspect of things didn't seem to have as much of an influence as the carries did. And like that, my theory behind it was like, yeah, what you mentioned, like, I feel like when you're getting tackled by a linebacker, it's not as much wear and tear as getting tackled by like a defensive tackle or like multiple of them when you're running up the middle or something. Right. So um, yeah, that was, that was something cool to look at too, for sure. God, I, I love when, you know, common sense using what we see on the film actually matches up with these uh, mm-hmm. handy Danny analytics as well. Now, why the, is the heavy college workload basically irrelevant? We just haven't seen the effect. And, you know, if we haven't seen the effect. There's no reason to believe in it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, when 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 I looked at like, you know, rushes in college compared to like how they ended up performing in the NFL. Again, there, there didn't seem to be like a, a trend where if they were having like a, a huge amount of workload in college like they were going to perform poorly in the NFL like Jonathan Taylor had almost a thousand you know touches in in college at Wisconsin and like he's done great in the NFL Nick Chubb had almost 800 touches at Georgia and he's done great in the NFL like like it it doesn't it doesn't seem to be like a huge issue um for these for these running backs and stuff like there's no like there's not running backs entering the league that are like more fresh than than running than other running backs and stuff yeah I've, I've read some good reports from uh, Dr. Evan Porras, who's been on the pod several times. I shout him out all, every freaking other episode. Hi, Edwin, if you're listening again. But uh, <laughs> with fantasy points and two of the things that he's like really just to tall on referencing, you know, actual scientific work from 
learning doctors, everyone, about the idea that both being injury prone is a lie. And yeah, just basically the mm -hmm. idea um, that, you know, one year or even, you know, a couple of years, sometimes with the college, having that workload, like just doesn't necessarily like grind, you know, we're not playing a video game. We have like a health meter necessarily and we can <laughs> tell uh, where these guys are at at all uh, times. So, and again, that's one of those similar things where I was looking at the 400 touches where it's like, yeah, there's some examples of the people falling off, but trying mm -hmm. to correlate these two things together, I think that's where people you know once they actually take a longer look at it will struggle struggle to draw that conclusion mm -hmm. now a couple more here fact the draft position of a running back is more important than the actual running back himself now this might piss off a lot of you dynasty scout tape watchers out there but Dave, like <laughs> at some point man you can look at i'm not saying the nfl draft process you know is a, is a perfectly efficient market or anything like that at a minimum though I don't think they're terrible by any stretch and more than anything, when you have a guy with the higher draft capital, I know Pete Carroll and Kyle Shanahan, we have some exceptions here or there. I think they're going to win that position battle more times than not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, this was, this was like probably my favorite finding of, of writing this piece was yeah. Like looking at what, what like day the running back was drafted on and then like how many uh, defenders in the box that defenses put uh, on on their run plays and like you know we talk about like when when Derrick Henry returned from injury we we're like okay like the Titans are going to have more you know linebackers and stuff in the box now should make their play action passing game easier and stuff like that so like like we 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 think that like uh, the the type of running back kind of like matters for the box defenders but what I ended up finding was that the day that the running back was drafted on like correlated pretty well with how many box defenders they got. And this carried with them throughout the whole their whole career in the NFL. Wow. So like even even like in years five and six, even if that running back wasn't performing well, they were still having like defenses really respect them because they were a first round running back. And like I don't want to I don't want to make Cowboys fans. I was about to say you can just say yeah. Zeke when you're teetering around it. <laughs> like yeah, like like Zeke is like a perfect example of this. Like if 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 you stripped away like where he was drafted and like you know, kind of like, I don't know, like the, the aura of his rookie season and stuff right. and just straight up looked at like how he was running and his, his metrics in these past couple of years, like he wouldn't be getting that many carries on like many teams, but since he was a top a running back drafted in the top five and, and like, kind of like led the charge and when the Cowboys went 13 and three and stuff, like, like he still gets that type of respect from both his team and, and defenses. Yeah, man, draft position, like, you know, follow the money sometimes here. And the draft position is correlated to how these contracts are going. And, you know, mm -hmm. I have found similar findings in free agency, where once you kind of see these running backs and wide receivers making 10 plus million, we can't guarantee they're going to be fantastic players, but you do tend to see over time, these talents with more higher draft capital, with more money put behind them, get more opportunities. Makes mm -hmm. sense. We've seen it play out. Final one here, Tage Fiction. Adrian Peterson should have a higher rushing yards over expected than Jamal Charles because Charles did not play as long. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is this is a good one. So when when I when I first created rushing yards over expected, I posted this this graph on Twitter and um and it, it kind of showed like you know the the average rushing yards over expected for like each running back uh since 2006 that had like a certain amount of carries. And so Jamal Charles is all the way in the top right because like he just he like basically broke broke the scale right. And a lot of the the common responses to that were well like you know Charles only played in his prime and he retired early like when you when you factor in like the fact that Adrian Peterson was you know playing like 
much older and like went way over the 1500 rush number that we talked about and stuff like, you know, Adrian Peterson's actually the better running back over Jamal Charles. So then I like, I adjusted their rushing yards over expected by year in the NFL by like what, um, what that like average usually was. And then like, you know, adjusted it based on, based on their age. Yeah. And Jamal Charles still broke the graph <laughs> just like a little bit less than, than what he was, he did before, but it was, it was still like significantly better than, um, than Derek Henry, Adrian Peterson, Frank Gore and, and stuff like that. People have such a hard time with like the best or the MVP argument. If we're looking at the last 10 years, though, and just saying best career, most productive stretch during that for running backs, I think it's hard to get away from Adrian Peterson. He did play more, you know, showed it time and time again, even did it some other teams. But man, the best running back, I think we have to go with Jamal Charles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I think, I think Charles, like, you this know, is just rushing. This isn't even receiving. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like he was a great receiving back. You know, you wonder what he could have done if like he didn't get banged up a couple times in a couple seasons. But like, you know, I remember, I think it was like, it was it like his five touchdown game against the Steelers? Oh my gosh. Was was it Raiders? Raiders? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it might have been Raiders. Yeah, like (laughs) that was insane. Like I remember, I remember like seeing, I was like, I think it was the Lions game was on then. And like every like 10 minutes they were like cutting away to the Chiefs game like showing him scoring and then coming back to the Lions game like over and over I'm like that's amazing like Jamal Charles is like is like an all-time all-time player I hope I hope he makes the Hall of Fame oh he better at some point man it's yeah but you, you can never count on those Hall of Fame freaking yeah no you don't know for so sure we'll, we'll see what goes on with that Tage again fantastic article you can all find that on pff.com I'm sure you'll have some more goodness here ready for us next offseason final question i have for you I mentioned this at the beginning you are a part of the michigan football analytics society again i hate that i hate michigan i'm not saying congrats for <laughs> last year you know we'll get you this year knowing that you're a smart man i know you wouldn't let your you know fandom get in the way of objective uh, analysis so Tej, how many more wins do you think the wolverines are getting over my buckeyes over the next 10 years <laughs> um you know i to to prep for this question i i asked my my good friend jacob who's the most optimistic Michigan fan I know and like a massive one. And he responded to me and he said one. And so I was, I was really surprised by that. I don't know. I think, I think Michigan should be able to get between like two and four or two and three, maybe wins over, over Ohio state over the next couple of years. But no, the game, the game this year was like a perfect storm of, you know, just playing at home that the team was really bought in and like, the the strength you know like with the snow and everything like the strength of Michigan being able to run the ball on you know really like the weakness of Ohio State was yeah. the the run defense so like it was, it was a great matchup and um you know had a, had a lot of fun watching that but Man, the it, thing you know, that yeah the thing that would concern me like I saw Hutchinson just have his way with that line all day and that was kind of like Oregon did that too against Ohio State they controlled line scrimmage and Thibodeau wasn't even playing in that game and Oregon really won because of how physical they were so man like if I wanted to be the pessimist Ohio State guy I'd be worried about this program just kind of being soft but I don't know like maybe that's just more of a one-year thing I will say like Michigan definitely better team deserved to win this game I I hear you nice points about the snow and stuff but better team you know you don't win by 15 by accident but you look back at some of these games man 2016 was the spot good mm-hmm. 20 um even 13 when they had the two-point conversion Tyvis Powell picked it off like there's been a lot of t- coin flip games in Ohio State has seemingly grabbed a couple of those so even if uh you know maybe 
maybe the cards are stacked more on the Buckeyes side like they have been. I wouldn't be shocked if a few of these random games maybe go the Wolverines game, uh, mm-hmm. go the Wolverines way over the next 10 years. Yeah, no, I, I could I could definitely see that. And like, that's why I like, I've, I've defended Harbaugh for all these years. Like, it's not a coincidence if you've succeeded at four different places. Like, you're probably a pretty good head coach if, if that's happening to you. But no, I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye on uh, Ohio State this upcoming year because of Stroud and like the fact that the Lions will probably be in the quarterback market there we go. Um, in, in next year's draft. So, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how, how he performs compared to Bryce Young and if anyone else like pops up there, but that's getting like way ahead of like what, what, where we're at right now. Tage, fantastic stuff, my friend. Thank you again for the time. People can find you on Twitter at Tage, T-E-J-F-B Analytics. Anything else you want to get off your chest, my friend? Uh, no, I'm, you know, excited for the Super Bowl. Hope Stafford plays well. Go Rams. <laughs> there we go, man. I, I'm i leaning towards betting on the Rams, but I don't know if I keep seeing just, it depends what Joe Burrow's get up is getting off the bus. You know, this is going to be going down to the kickoff thing. We got to work with uh, all the information that's available to us. <laughs> For Tage, that should, a, yeah. that should be a prop bet. Like what? What's the wear coming up? The <laughs> We're betting on the Gatorade cooler. Give me, you know, tinted glasses. You know, is yeah. he gonna like what type of chain is he gonna have on? You know, what color visor is Jamar Chase gonna wear? Warm ups. Get after it, betting markets. <laughs> I want to do all this stuff. Thank you as always for tuning in, everyone. For Tage, I'm Ian, and until next time, take care, everyone.